Podcasting. The remarkably crowded frontier. These, These are, are the, the conversations, conversations of two brothers and their mom. Their 13-episode mission to explore strange old movies. To seek out new bits and new jokes. To, to boldly go where no mom has gone before. Welcome to a bonus episode of Where No Mom Has Gone Before. Now, avid listeners of this podcast have uh, noticed that I have uh, begged, groveled, and pleaded for one Mr. Jonathan Frakes to come on this podcast and do an interview with us. And, well, if you read the title of the episode, you know we got him. So here we are uh, doing a little post-discussion that will happen before the uh, actual interview process uh at first i want to say what a delight jonathan frakes was like he he is one of those people that you think he's going to be a certain way when you talk to him and that's exactly how he is and it's just it's just wonderful he's just a he seems like the kind of guy that's hasn't let any of the fame that he has get to him yeah he's got a really robust online presence as i'm sure a lot of people know and <laughs> and the person you talk to is, well uh, over the internet uh, is the same as the person you see on Twitter. Uh, really just uh, kind-hearted, generous, thoughtful, and uh, really appreciate him taking the time to talk to us. All right, uh, yeah. Let, let's get a woman's view right oh, here. go ahead. Uh, you know when he smiles, his mm. eyes light up, and if he cuts to the side, you can see that impish man. That's what he's like. I was just so impressed. I really was. Just and just a wonderful storyteller, oh, and yes. just such a pleasure. So, how about we we uh, get to that interview uh, first? Jonathan, thank you so much for giving us the time to do this. We really appreciate yes, it. Definitely, pleasure is mine. <laughs> uh, so, correct so, me if I'm. <laughs> that's fair. I, I you know, you, we're complete strangers to you, so we totally get that. <laughs> Um, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe you hold the distinction of being the first performer to move to directing for television, who was a Star Trek performer, yes? I think that's probably an accurate statement. Yeah, yeah with Offspring, yeah. Um, how was that to transition from uh, to directing for it? Were you able to like choose the scripts for episodes, or was it no, kind of like an never. assignment? No, it's the luck of the draw in episodic television. It's a luck of the draw. Well, you got some, you got some real bangers in there. I mean, well, Offspring's great. That the first one was a real banger because, uh, you know, a data show, as we used to refer to them, <laughs> generally the winner. Yeah. It was uh, written by Renee Chavaria, who ended up being one of our showrunners on Deep Space and went on to Castle and other great things. It was his um, spec script that he had sent to Michael Pillar. Hmm. Michael Pillar is one of those rare showrunners who actually read unsolicited scripts from young writers and gave people careers as you probably know like brandon braga and ron moore and noreen shankar and sure and, and renee so i also had been shadowing for almost uh almost three years from the moment i first asked berman if i could possibly get into this what we laughingly referred to as paramount university so it was <laughs> i was i was if anything over prepared and over anxious and um the stars align and having that script and having Brent and having it was a whoopee episode, which also was and Hallie Todd was genius as lol. It was a, a lot of good things came together. And I had the support of the, you know, the company. I had been acting and working on this show for three, almost three seasons by that point. So we were a family by that point, by that time. Yeah. I mean, man, I mean, you had that, you had cause and effect, which, that must have just been such an undertaking for you to have to keep going I back. The effect was sent to me as a joke by Brandon Brock. <laughs> one act. I thought, what the f- are you? <laughs> I thought he was messing with me. I really seriously thought he was messing with me. And I said, no, no, this is a, you know, it's like a Rashomon story, obviously. Yeah. And um, so the challenge, it became like a directing exercise to shoot each scene. I guess four or five different ways 
mm-hmm. or from four or five different points of view. So I, I love doing cause and effect. Once I realized that that was it, it was one, it was one act. <laughs> I still have a distinct memory first viewing of that episode. And, you know, the opening is the enterprise exploding and we all just went, what, what? did the episode Jeez. start late? What's happening here? <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure how much Casey explained the origins of the podcast we do, but you know, the first run of Next Generation was appointment family viewing for us, which is one of the reasons we do this with our mom. Uh, and it's she your was, fault, mom. Yeah, <laughs> and we and I, if I recall, it was it was maybe Sunday nights was when the syndication run was where we lived, and we you know we did, and it was I do remember us all sort of being very confused at the end of that first act. Yeah. I imagine my feeling reading. Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) I never really thought about that, but that's a good point. You probably thought it was a prank. Yeah. That's, that's hilarious. Um, How was directing Star Trek uh, different from like you, you mentioned at that point, third season, you guys were a family. What was it like going on to different properties? I mean, you've directed uh, leverage librarians. Um, What was that like? I was, by the time I was finally, actually ironically hired by James Conway, who was a director on Star Trek, who was a spelling producer. He directed me in um, Frame of Mind. Remember that episode? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's a great crazy. episode. Yeah. And Conway was one of our uh, stable. And he was a producer on a small show up in Vancouver called University Hospital. And he gave me my first non-Star Trek directing job. Huh. I thought very, very generous. They're all really script dependent. I mean, you've got to tell the story. I mean, it's, it's such a Pollyanna cliche that it's all about the story, but it really is all about the story and the characters. If the characters are someone, someone relates to or someone hates or loves or has some kind of emotional reaction to, they're going to like your episode. And if you capture it, you've, you've done your job. What, yeah. what I found as I moved from show to show outside of the Star Trek world was how different shows, I mean, it's obvious to those of us who watch TV, when you're bonking through your through your um, remote, you recognize a show in a, within frames. Oh, that's NCISLA. Or mm-hmm. that's this example I always use is I used to direct Falling Skies. Do you remember Falling Skies with Noah? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh-huh. That show, Greg Beeman was the producing director on it. Ironically, Tunde, who's now the producing director on Discovery, who I work with, mm-hmm. started on that show his first when I was over there. He and I worked together a little bit. Um, that show had a, a policy when you showed up. They said to you, we want to shoot it handheld like uh, documentary war footage. Mm. So Wow. Stay with the character as long as you can. Don't feel feel like you have to get every line on, on camera. Turn to the person, get their reaction with the camera, come back and find. So it has a nice live vibe to it. Yeah. And um, I guess, I don't know if that came from Spielberg or from Beeman or from whoever, you know, whoever. That show had, that was the way that show was shot. That's the way that show looked. Mm-hmm. Then I also did Castle. Remember Castle with Nathan Fillion? and Sarah? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Castle, which also had a Star Trek connection, it was Rob Bowman who had directed, we used to call him Barefoot Rob Bowman. He um, he directed a ton of our shows in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And he was very influential on me and others. Uh, he was now the producing director on Castle. And when I went to his office for my first Castle episode, he said, Frakes, don't waste everybody's time with any multi-stop moving dolly moves. Meaning, you know, don't bother with that cool shot that you think is cool because people come out of the elevator and they go past the foreground of the down through the police precinct and you got great foreground and you wrap them around and there's people crossing and they land at the desk and you know what you would think of as a cool cinematic shot. So don't waste our time. <laughs> Sit the people Just, down and get everybody in three sizes, meaning a close up from you know like a cowboy, which would be at the waist. Another close-up just holding the shoulders and then a tight close-up that would be just inside an ECU. They call it an extreme close-up right inside the face. Get those three sizes on our stars, and that's what we're going to use. It was completely, you know, in uh, contrast to the way Falling Skies is shot, but it was the way that show looked. It's the way that show was shot, and uh, 
by cutting to the chase and saying, here's how we do it. It made everybody's life easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Having a house style to guide you, right? Well, a house style to guide you and your, your responsibility as an episodic director is to service, to, to make, and I, mean, I always thought, to make the best version of that show that you can make. So if you don't reinvent the wheel, don't, you don't, I mean, we've, I work with directors and we all have, where they come in and oh, I'm going to put my personal spin on this show or I'm going to, you know, mm-hmm. this show's on the air and you're here now because this show is what it is. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, since you've uh, brought up camera movement and cinematography, you know, as we've been watching these films in sequence, uh, we were really struck by what a bold step forward first contact is for the series in terms of cinematography. I mean, right from that really remarkable first pullback shot. Yeah, uh, is, was spectacular. Sid Dutton and I worked, Professor Sid Dutton and I worked on that shot. I was inspired by the stage version of Sweeney Todd. Huh. Oh. In which the set uh, I don't remember what theater was on in Broadway, but I mean, this is years and years and years ago. The set had a, uh, the set was in the built into the theater mm. so that you felt like you were in the environment. So when we pulled out of Patrick's eyeball and we pulled back and back and back, we were inside the environment that he was in. Man. I mean, yeah. it was obviously a much bigger, more, more elaborate and and Jerry Goldsmith's music certainly helped. Sure. But I mean, it's it's a fantastic, amazing shot that really is a calling card for, I think, a, a really visually inventive film. You well, know, I also that- had a new guy. I had I had two new guys. I had Matt Leonetti as a cinematographer and the uh, Academy Award-winning John Knoll, who mm-hmm. was a visual effects supervisor who ended up getting Oscars for Star Wars. And ah. as a sidebar, he and his brother invented what? Photoshop. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. So his kids are, his six children are, are, yeah. are doing very well. That's that, that's a great day job to have if you're going to go into the entertainment. That's what I, I saw. We, we did a reunion uh, kind of screening of 35 years of of uh, First Contact. And, and he flew down from, from the Bay Area. And we had a wonderful visit, a wonderful panel. And I, he said he's still doing it because he loves it, and obviously not because he has to. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Well, I mean, I think that film also exists at a really interesting sort of liminal point of the, you know, as as the film industry is transitioning from the apex of practical effects into a digital world. Yeah. And there's some terrific, I mean, the you know, I think a sequence that gets talked about a lot is the Borg Queen's spine being dropped in and just the seamless blend of what if you stop and think about it or must be practical blended with digital but the great thing is i've seen the film a dozen times and i still barely stop and think about it i just am so lost in the story i think you just put your finger on the exact reason that shot is so iconic and so special it's because of the story and frankly because of the alice krieger Mm. who, who was the board queen who when the clamps as it was explained to her grasp her chest as her spinal cord has which was you know a green sock right her spinal cord planted itself into her the rest of her being or body or whatever that is whatever borg have <laughs> sure but when the, <laughs> when, when the clamps closed on her skin she reacted so we all felt it and was terrified by it and 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 never thought about the visual effect aspect of it. Right. And I think, yeah. and John gives her credit for that as well. It was, um, it was genius. It was just, he's a what? very creative man and she's a wonderful actor. And I think it was, again, I've been very, very, very blessed with the people who have been in around me, helping me make these shows. Mm. Makes the director look so good when he's <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I would I would say yes, definitely the visual effects help. But going back to like Next Generation, when you didn't have the budget for the pullout shot at the beginning of First Contact, I rewatching a lot of your episodes over the years, I, I noticed you've got some some tells, I guess, uh, so, some of your own things. I, I I do notice that you very much enjoy a dirty single, which I also enjoy. Yeah. 
just because you're not just going to see one person all the time. I, I, I think that's, that's a good one that you, you seem to really like. Um, I really liked it because we were very, I mean, Rick was very strict and traditional in the way next gen, especially in the beginning was shot. It was mm-hmm. a lot of two shots at a lot of singles and very little camera movement. So the dirty single at least added some um, filmic style and mm. the character sure. in the scene. Do, do you feel like generally you're, you're, you're directing work now, but specifically when you direct Star Trek now, you have a freer hand to be more cinematic? Well, I, I do, and we all do. I mean, mm. on, on Discovery, which and on Picard, and I'm imagining on Strange New Worlds, which I'm really looking forward to doing this season. But on Discovery specifically, you're really encouraged by Tunde and by Alex Kurtzman and by Akiva and by Michelle Parrott, all the people, and, and Jason Zimmerman, who's the visual effects supervisor there, to um, shoot the thrill, as Robbie Duncan says. <laughs> shoot the thrill. And they give you, frankly, all the toys, all the time. <laughs> all the money you need to do that. So you can keep, for instance, on, on the bridge of discovery, which is one of the most beautiful sets I've ever worked on. Do you watch discovery? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's disco set is, is spectacular. Especially the refit disco. is just yes, exactly. so shiny and so pretty. It's yeah. really <laughs> the nice. Light, the background, the, the, the lights in the sets give you those lens, those unpredictable lens flares when you're moving the camera. Anyway, oh, I, okay. I follow I followed the actors around. I don't, no, I follow. I they call it in Canada, following the puck, where you you go from line to line. Sure, right, <laughs> and so you hopefully you capture the actor, so you can so your camera keeps moving and you're catching people. And I try to to keep it. I mean, you have to cover all that stuff, but I try to keep a shot moving. And what became one of the running gags on that show was Tunde does the same thing very effectively. So I get through. Um, Doug and Sonequa and I'd get over to Blue and then they'd come down and try to get oh, I'd try to go to Washington I'd try to get Emily and and uh, I'd be with the the um, the Steadicam guy Francois I said, so what do you think? Can we go further? And Sonequa would say to me, just ask yourself what you always ask yourself. I said, what's that? She said, what would Tunde do? <laughs> so we, we try to out uh, outdo each other and it creates a wonderful competitive filmmaking environment and then you know some of those shots are way too long a lot of them don't make it to the show but just the the undertaking and then everybody who's in the shot is part of the shot and Mm -hmm. has to feel the timing everybody making the shot because it's not just the operator the focus puller and the people the gaffers who are setting different um diffusion on different actors because they're all different colors and they need a different amount of light on it it's a no it's a it's a dance yeah and the and the more intricate the choreography often the more interesting and uh cinematic the shot do, do you feel like you it is a different experience for you when you direct within within the star trek franchise if only because you you know i i, be, I imagine being an actor in a star trek franchise in the star trek franchise is an experience unlike any other, right it's a little like what they used to say about nobody ever really knew what it was to be a beetle except the beatles um, and and that um peter jackson show by the way no no oh, i haven't oh i've you've it. seen it, it casey right it's fantastic it really is we just finished the second two hours or two and a half oh hours. gosh oh. the the third one is it is wild to see them it's like up until like hours before they do the rooftop thing and they're still like so what song should we do my guys TikTok, let's go (laughs) i felt that way from the very beginning are you guys really trying to write songs for a week from now is what's going (laughs) on and what about when he gets uh he starts doing the riff for get back and everyone's like paul's playing and i'm like this is one of the greatest beatles songs of all time pay attention (laughs) and you you see it being created anyway we digress Well, no, but it actually reminds me a little bit of what you were just saying about the importance of, of of spending time on a shot that may never make it in, but creates a sense of story for everybody. Yeah. You know, and it's part that the, the things you leave on the cutting room floor are part of the um, process and part of making it and important. But what I was going to ask is, is there a different relationship with actors uh, as you direct, Absolutely. direct acting? Yeah. Absolutely. Part of it is 
now that I'm an old guy, which I'm just still wrapping my head around, it, it, it became clear to me when I was uh, assigned to go up and do discovery. I didn't know that it was going to open up this whole new world of, uh, you know, sort of next, next generation of, of tracks. Mm-hmm. But um, I was treated with this wonderful kind of uh, respect. And what it really was is the actors cozied up to me one by one or in groups and said, so what's the, what's the deal? Cause I, I told them you guys, this is going to change your lives. And they'd heard it, but I don't think they'd heard it from another actor. Mm-hmm. And then it got into the weeds. So how many conventions do you do a year? Who's your, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> was, uh, what's that going to be like? What's, you know? And um, I felt, and I said this in other, in other interviews, I really felt like that discovery cast was like us. I, I could feel the support that they had for each other. I tell this anecdote. The um, there are certain members of that cast who, most of them actually, if one of their friends has a heavy scene or they know there's something coming, and that first actor, Sonequa or O or Doug or you know one of the Ronnie, one of the actors on the show has been sent home for the day, but they're okay. Um, Mary Wiseman does this. They'll come back to the set wow. after they've been signed out, after they've gone home, after they've had dinner, whatever it is, for mo- as moral support, which is unheard of. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, if anybody listening doesn't know how episodic television is made, they're doing that in a 16-hour day. Yeah. And, yeah, that's yeah. that's that's really remarkable. That's great. It's very and- special, Yeah. You can you can definitely feel that watching the show, much like with Next Generation, you can feel the family bond that's I growing. Right. I, I think you're absolutely right. I'm a little too close to it, I think, but I've been as I was catching up with the season that's airing now mm-hmm. before doing a um a ready room with Will, I felt that they have really found their family legs this season, much like we did around season three mm. of, of our show. Yeah. So the parallels are there. And and to answer your question, I think it is a, um, again, it's a little corny, but we are a family and now we're a huge family with a lot of casts. And there's a certain pride in that. I think, I think we're all to different degrees, very proud to be part of a franchise that has had such a positive effect on people and has inspired people to make choices about being, astronauts or psychiatrists or scientists or it's it's really it's it's very powerful i and it's a i I don't i don't take it lightly i don't think any of us really do Hmm. there are a lot Hmm. of you know there (laughs) there are a lot of shitty pilots out there that we all could have been on (laughs) (laughs) and that would be our legacy and uh, we've just been lucky enough that this is this is where we we ended up I 100% agree. I mean, when Paramount released all the rest of the track for pretty much the rest of the year, I was just, my mind was blown by how much track we're getting for the rest of the year. I know. I think you sent sent us both a text and said, so much track. (laughs) So much. Well, it's funny. The um, Lower Decks, which people poo-pooed, is hysterical. Oh, I love Lower Decks. Lower Decks is wonderful. McMahon's a genius. He gets it. He loves the show. The same thing with Terry Metalis, who's on Star Trek Picard. Huge fan of Next Gen. And you can feel it in the writing. It yeah, is. I think the great thing about Lower Decks is like, it's not making fun of Trek. It's oh. it's loves Trek, but also it's going, sometimes Trek can be a little silly, you know? And we love it for it because of that. Like, having uh, Okana be the uh, the DJ at the end of oh. last season, I was like, you oh, guys yeah, get it. Okana. Yeah, so wow. good. Billy Campbell, the outrageous O'Connor. Billy <laughs> Campbell, which was um, another guy that I tested against for Riker. Uh, right, right. I can see that. That and makes sense. Him back. Yeah, we. Uh, I I do another podcast. Uh, I do a comic book movie podcast, and I actually just recorded uh, the Rocketeer last night. So Billy Campbell's fresh in my mind right now. <laughs> He's a wonderful actor. Is he? In, did you record him? No, no, no. No, it was just simply recording, uh, reviewing the pot, the movie, and just yeah, we gush over him pretty hard on that. He's he's, he's really good. Yeah, uh, mom, why don't you go ahead? 
with that your question. That was another thing about were you inspired by particular film or directors, Colin? Did you get to that? Oh, I, th- I think oh, he I, covered it. Yeah. I think I think you knew where I was going with that question and answered it. Like oh, a professional. Okay. It's mom's turn. <laughs> you are one of the... <laughs> Meryl Streep. It is Meryl Streep. You got, you got <laughs> if only I had her talent. You have plenty of talents. Um, oh, well, that's true. You are one of the most important creative voices for the franchise. As Star Trek approaches its sixth decade, what would you like to see in the future? Now, we know how NDAs work, so (laughs) we totally get that. (laughs) I'm thrilled that um, they found room for for the anime, for the Lower Decks and and Prodigy, which has gotten very, very well received. I like the idea that we're trying to find a younger audience because, Mm -hmm. frankly, I mean, the fans of TOS, Shatner is, what, 170? (laughs) (laughs) I believe it was 91 this year. 91 and went to space. He's a riot. That's a whole other podcast. I'm I'm sure. (laughs) And our, you know, our show is 35 years old. So if they're peers of ours and I'm about to be 70 and Patrick's 80, I mean, our fans are young. I know they've all brought their grandkids around to watch the show, but I think they need their own show. And I'm hoping that Lower Decks and Prodigy can be that. I'm also really looking forward to the show that we were teased about called Section 31. Yeah. Michelle Yeoh show. Michelle Yeoh is spectacular. Oh my, yeah, yeah. I was a dream and she's, I've had a privilege, a couple of episodes with her and the idea of that world, whatever that world is, like the Star Trek FBI undercover CIA thing, there's a, it just seems like there's an entirely different storytelling style, and it just feels like there's an adventure out there to be had. Sure. So I'm hoping that that moves up the, or it just becomes to fruition. I mean, that we've been teased with it for a couple of years, have we not? Yeah, isn't that why she left Discovery to be part of that? Well, I also her career poor thing just can't seem to get a job i mean she's in the marvel franchise now the event the um the movie uh, crazy rich asians now has a sequel of, or two i mean yeah she has <clears throat> it's going to be her availability now sure that, that right that may be the other reason that's uh holding up section 31 yeah i remember when she left uh Discovery was like, but wait, you're so good. And then I must have missed the news and, and was like, what's Michelle Yo doing next? And Section 31 came up. I'm like, okay, I'm not mad about this. This is great. Yeah. It will be great. So I'm looking forward to that. And in general, I always think there's room for music. What's, mm-hmm. like, what's the music in the future? Who's playing the music? Who's uh, I'm um I'm not sure how to answer the question more clearly, but I feel it. I mean, I, I think our composers are genius and I love the occasional needle drop, but it feels to me that there's some um, art and music in that century, galaxy, whatever the hell it is, <laughs> is um, I just somehow think it's it's not pictures of spaceships. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was I was always interested to see episodes that did that uh, where a play would be being rehearsed and it wasn't an extant play from our world, but rather something that had been created in the intervening time and, and, and yet might even be old enough to be considered a classic and just that, that kind of world building and what, how does artistic expression evolve in the future? Is it, that's a really interesting question. I would love to see more. Yeah. And I think that's the question. I I'm friends with Sean Cochran and uh, a couple of the other writers on discovery and, when they jumped forward 973 years or whatever the hell mm. it was, yeah, that was the, I said, so what are you guys doing with the world building? What is, what do things look like? And he said, Dodie, you don't even want to be in the writer's room. <laughs> yeah. It's just <laughs> the challenges are, I mean, they're wonderful opportunities as they say. Right. That's the difference between us and the high middle ages. It, it should be, yeah, it's, it's a, a whole world can develop. Yeah. And, and you seem to be only limited by your imagination. Mm. And everyone's is different. I just, that's probably the reason buried in that answer, that sort of long-winded, I apologize answer. Probably the reason that the franchise has had such legs for 55 years is that we are exploring and we are 
seeking out new worlds, all the things that are in the, the mantra. So continuing to do that through a different lens, I, th- I just don't think we're going to run out of ideas. That was certainly one of the things I, I you know, mentioned that it was a family watching tradition. I think as, as we were adolescents at the time, Case, it was a lot of our first exposure to some fundamental questions about the human experience and morality. I was born when this show started in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're both in our 40s, so yeah. <laughs> Are you really? I'm in my, and mm-hmm. I'm in my 70s, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're a yes. very young gene pool. <laughs> I tell everybody I owe it all to oil of Olay and jeans. Excellent. You, you won't believe what kind of filters they have on Zoom these days. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you guys have it. I don't. But we, when, you, when, you're ta- go, Mom. when you're talking about music, are you envisioning a different sound? Are you envisioning different instruments that are going to have to be brought up yeah. with? Or- Both. Both. I... I Huh. I like traditional instruments. I love, I play the trombone and I love uh, live music. I love live music. We have a tradition in our family that we go out for jazz night at Christmas when everybody's in, in town and we, we pick a night sometime during over the Christmas break when the kids are here with their significant others and we all go to dinner to a club and we hear some some live jazz and it's become a real important and the kids like it and I love it. But I, I, there's a, you know, you, you you start venturing into the Star Wars world if you do the uh, Star Wars bar where people have silly shit. Right. Uh, clarinets and trumpets and that sort of thing where they're playing cactuses or whatever. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's the tonality maybe and the, uh, is there jazz? Is it classical? Is it neither? It just seems, it, it always tickles me that, um, as brilliant as John Williams and Jerry Goldsmith and Zimmer are, those three and Newton and others create a sound in an action adventure movie. While they're not interchangeable, they make us feel what the scene is about. Mm. So it, I've, I think more and more, the more I do of it, I, I think music is really, really important, but to answer your question, I think the music of the people in the show, what do those people dance to, listen to, play? Sure. They sit at the piano. Well, you you, you talk about jazz, and it, I mean, is there any type of music that's a better example of what happens when different cultures are thrown together that had previously been separated by oceans and continents? And, and you know, is that happening in this world? You know, is is there somebody taking an, an, a, a Vulcan instrument and an, a, yeah. a, hu- a human yeah. musical yeah. thing and, and blending them together and getting the space equivalent of the banjo, an African instrument that meets oh. European music and creates the beginning of jazz, you know? I, I I would watch that show. There. There's a story in there. Somewhere. I would I would watch it. I would watch, I'll tell you I would watch that show. Yeah, I would watch did Star Trek music. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. That'd be great. Shoot it like uh, the Beatles documentary. There you go. That's it. An in-world <laughs> documentary. Would you like to continue as a performer now that you've brought Riker back to Picard in Lower Decks, or do you just intend on staying behind the camera? Or can you not answer that due to NDAs? <laughs> I can answer that question. I I loved coming back as as uh, Riker, and I was so frigging nervous because I had just I had just directed a couple episodes of Picard with Patrick, who was arguably at the top of his game, hmm. and Marina. We had to wait for her to do that episode uh, Nepenthe because she had just starred in a show in the West End in, in London. So I knew both of them were just on fire and i hadn't acted probably in a decade so i was really je- and i live with um Jeannie francis who's a huge um legend on general hospital she plays laura of luke and laura fame mm. and my wife has been doing it for 45 years so i run lines with her all the time and she's a spectacular actor so i have mm. i'm surrounded and my wife my daughter's a wonderful i'm like the third best actor in my house now <laughs> So I've got, I have issues. I had, so, I had acting <laughs> self-esteem issues. And then the show came out so well 
I was really encouraged. I was really, I felt like this is a blast. So I'm more confident in my work as a director, but I, I got to say, I loved being on the floor with uh, Marina and Patrick again. So what, what, what was it like specifically? Like your, your Riker is definitely the, the seasoned Riker, uh, uh, the retired captain. And then you get that amazing moment at the end of first oh season of Picard. God, what was Michael it like? Shabon. We got to do a shout out for Michael Shabon. That's oh. sure. Absolutely. Yes. All, always. Always, that yeah. Speech about kicking their Vulcan ass was just—I mean, their Romulan ass. He's—I oh, he, mean, he's—he's he's one of my favorite writers. So I, when he was announced as being part of Picard, I mean, it wasn't like I wasn't going to watch it, but I did get very, very excited. I did too. I was mesmerized. I remember reading the uh, the Yiddish policeman. I, I didn't—I I didn't read Cavalier and Clay until after I started to work with him, mm. which, by the way, I think is now being made into a series. It is. It is. I think I saw that somewhere. Yeah. Oh, Yiddish so Policeman's Union is wonderful. Oh, I love that book. Um, he is. He is also lovely. He's a lovely man. Hmm. So what yeah, we he wrote, he wrote, he brought Riker back at the end there. I, I, oh, that was, that was him. No, that's wonderful. wonderful. I knew I was trying to figure out how Michael surfaced here. That was it. Well, thank him for it. That is one of the best. I mean, the whole, the first season of Picard as a whole is fantastic. But that moment when you show up, I was like, yes, this is, this is the stuff I came for. Um, but what was it like recording uh, Lower Decks? I mean, I know you did some, not some, you were a major voice on uh, Gargoyles. Um, Xanatos. Yes, David mm-hmm. Xanatos. Uh, but you also you did. You guys have done your research. I watched no, Gargoyles. No, we just watched it. <laughs> oh, you're nerds. You're just full. Oh, we're, yeah, yeah, oh. Yeah, yeah. We're just those people. <laughs> oh, yeah, They're yeah, nerds to the tenth degree. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Well done, mom. <laughs> well, they own. They 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 get to talking, and it's. Do you remember this episode? And they'll they they know them all by by their titles. <laughs> like a good and nerd. It, it's. I mean, it's incredible from from the original track all the way through. They know all the titles, and I'm just here to. You know, no, you're not. Oh, no, 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 I, no, no, I occasionally come up with something interesting. Yeah. Um, Don't sell yourself short. <laughs> <laughs> is different is, on lower decks was that McMahon was in the room and he brought all of his writers with him because they were all Trekkie. So I was in the sound booth and we did the script. And then, like being on a sitcom, he would yell, Try this, Franks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you mind if we dance with your date? Say it that way. Try this. <laughs> so he would he, he would yell lines to you the way a writer would on a sitcom, right? And that was a blast. And also, I'm kind of uh, uh, childish or childlike or whatever that is. So I was thrilled to have this freer, wilder Riker to play with. Oh man! And I, I related to McMahon. I, I met him. He had come up to Toronto for something, and. We were both at the same sushi bar and he came over to the table and introduced himself. And I said, he said he was doing this show called, and would I be interested in being on it? I said, I'd love to. And then he, unlike some producers actually kept his word. (laughs) (laughs) So it was all, uh, uh, in a booth alone. There was never any, um, I think. I, I don't think I ever worked with on gargoyles. We used to go to work and it would be, Five, six, seven of us, Keith and, and uh, Marina and Ed Asner and yeah. Will Fabergaki. And yeah, it was, but this was a different experience, I think, because of, oh, because of COVID. This was all COVID centric. Oh, right, right, right sure. Right. That, yeah, that yes. makes sense. It's like going into a medical ward, you had to, you know, you had, to, oh, it's, I'm so over this. I'm so overworking with the mask on. I, I saw an interview where you were talking about how that's affected the process of directing. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I had talked to, uh, you saw it, but I did, I spoke to Pressman about it, Michael Pressman and, and Robbie and Tunde, and everybody had the same experience that we, over, I mean, not that we don't <laughs> verbose, but that we found ourselves over explaining because mm. you able to express with your face, you, you'd be able to make your point. Right, sure. right. You, you've, sure. You're sort of having to fill in with more words than you, you would. You, it, and I sh- think in that losing the point, perhaps, or watering the point down. Yeah, and short circuits a uh, an important shortcut 
between actor and director. Yeah. Especially if you have that, like I do with Sonequa and with Patrick. Right. Your hand and they know mm. what I'm going to say as I'm walking over to them, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, uh, hopefully we're, we're nearing the end, oh, but, oof. but, but, you know, for all of us who are, who are stuck as viewers during it, we appreciate you continue to make things for us to enjoy while we're locked down and here mm-hmm. and, and, and taking, taking that extra effort because uh, the, the work hasn't suffered despite the, the difficulties you, you are all feeling on set. I'm sure. Yeah. It's taking longer, but many people say it's the safest place to be is on a set because our protocols are so strict. Oh yeah. Sure, I have some, sure. I have some, a friend who's on a national tour at the moment and I was just, wow, you get tested a lot. You really just get tested a lot and it's kind of great for you, you know, to have that. He's on a know. tour and a show. She, she is on the, uh, a tour of Lion King right now. And, uh, and so there, there's a really strict testing and, and masking regimen that hasn't kept them completely safe, of course, but it, you know, it does create a larger safety than I think a lot of workplaces. Another new family tradition this year was we're going to the theater and we got tickets for Hamilton for Christmas Eve. Mm. And, uh, my daughter took care of it and hooked it up and we all got to the theater at two o'clock. And you had to have your vax cards and your vac this, and we sat and we sat and we sat. The curtain didn't come up, and I was nervous. Jeannie was nervous, and uh, and and by the way, completely packed. No, there's no bullshit with the six feet or alternate. Right. All that was that was like watching the Super Bowl. And uh, the announcer says, "The the opening of our, the delay will be addressed in a few minutes. We're not going to start on time." And I looked at Jeannie. I said, "There's somebody sick in the cast." Somebody's tested positive because right. of the studies we're in already. She said, do you want to go? I said, I don't know. Do you want to go? She said, yeah, let's go. So we said, we're sorry, guys. We're nervous anyway. And I'm sure that this means. And they said, no, it doesn't. He said, yeah, I'm pretty sure this means they're going to, uh, they're going to cancel this thing. Okay. We'll see you at home. And we get in the car. And then 10 minutes later, there's a call. How'd you guys know that they were going to close? <laughs> we're yeah. stuck with 8,000 people trying to get out of the theater. <laughs> Right. Oh, they ended up canceling. Oh, that's yeah, bad. yeah. That the, especially the spike around Christmas and New Year's. I know. I mean, Broadway was there were, and there were nights where people were going on, and they were three deep in the in the understudy list, yeah, and exactly. and still not able to keep going. There, there was a uh, the opening of Broadway that documentary I told you guys about that I watched on PBS. Yeah. Right. Th- that right. happened with a show that they were everybody was ready and they had to cancel. It was it was so sad. It was oh. just devastating to all the actors. Very very well done. I thought it really showed the togetherness of the acting community, but it also shows how devastated they were with with what was happening. It was so long. it was awful. The theater actors all over the world. Yeah, yeah. In the mm-hmm. movie and TV people went back to work, and the theater actors didn't. The orchestras didn't, right? You know, live music. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a very difficult time to be making a living on the live side of the entertainment industry. Boy, howdy! Yeah, aren't you glad you didn't continue that, Colin? Yes, yes, I'm very glad I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> or, or at Don't least, mom. <laughs> well, you know, he's very happy with what he's doing, but since. Oh, probably 10th grade. Sure. And Casey was 8th grade. They both came to him and said, this is what I want to do. I want to be an actor. And um, I told Colin he had to get a degree for something to fall back on. And Casey went to AMDA. Wow. And yeah, and Colin went to Fredonia and was, uh, he, he did okay. But it wasn't enough to make a living. So you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. It's, yeah, I, it's, I miss it sometimes. Good parenting, but. Good parenting by the way. Yeah. Oh, no, indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Um, just, I just want to put a little aside in here before we go to this last question. Uh, if you know anybody that you're working with on Picard that might like to come in and be interviewed by us. <laughs> We would be happy to talk to them. As you can Patrick. see, our mother is our hype person. <laughs> Patrick is less likely than anybody else. Sure. But he knows Colin. He's so busy. He knows Colin. 
So I told you well, I was going to. I told you I, I was going to bring it in. Good, you told me not now. that, but I'm. Good. So so I was uh, when you when, buried the friggin' lead, you guys. <laughs> when 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 Patrick I'm was sorry, I just couldn't. I couldn't not say it. I know. When, no. when Patrick was uh, in uh, waiting for Gatto in No Man's Land on Broadway. Uh, I was the cover for um, two of the other actors for Billy Crudup and Shula Hensley. No kidding. Yeah. So I we were. Did you see it in New York or when we were in New York? Yeah. And I saw all the No Man's Land, which I loved. That was such a good show. I mean, Gatto was amazing, of course, but I people who slept on No Man's Land, I did not understand. I would oh, go back out and watch it like two times a week still, because even once I. Well, knew and you should, I'll tell Patrick that I worked with you and then, yeah. That's that's more than a knowing Patrick. Yeah, we were. I mean, we were we were we were co-workers for uh, for about nine months there. And uh, oh, dude, a, a lovelier man you could not ask to work with. He was so nice when we met him. And Ian McKellen, no. I could. I, he was just wonderful. And Colin got to go on one night. They had a, one of the uh, nor'easters that came up the East Coast, and Billy got stuck in. Oh, Billy got stuck in Sundance. Yeah, in Sundance. And guy. Colin got to go on. Of course, oh, we were in Florida at the time. We couldn't make up. it up. Colin couldn't. Casey couldn't get down from Syracuse because there were no buses. You couldn't drive. The throughway was closed. The trains were key. So we didn't get to see it. But you went on with Patrick and Serene? Yeah, I went on as Lucky in Wichita. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. had buried the friggin' lead and you went <laughs> until now? 45 <laughs> minutes into this interview to bring that up. And they didn't want me to. I'm sorry. I had a feeling you might be after after we got to talking. You're very easy to talk to. Oh, good. Well, send me your your well, I'll just tell Patrick on Thursday when I see him that uh, I've got a podcast that you're your doing. How do you I hope he remembers how you? How did you find me? Uh, I found you through, oh, through uh, Elisa, through, through Elisa, through IMDb pro. Yeah. Okay. So send me, and we communicated on email. Give me yes, your sir. stuff, send me the email stuff and I'll pass it along to Patrick. Well, that's okay. very kind. Thank you. Yeah. I, w- I would love to talk to him again. As, as I don't need to tell you, he's a, uh, he's a wonderful person to spend time with. Oh boy. Is when a- we, when I went up to, we went up to New York to see it. And when we met, Patrick, Colin knocked on the door and said, "I can, can I bring my parents in?" And we walked in, and there stands Patrick, and sitting over on to my left is Renee. Abud, I can never. Yes, Abud Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, with his with his significant other, and he was Judith. Patrick was very kind and pointed out that Colin was the understudy for the two parts, oh. and he, he was just he was really nice. He really was. Renee, another great may he. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was so that was good. a loss. That was a huge loss. Yeah, we should and, wrap uh, this up. So. Yeah, yeah, yes. we got it. We we're, we've taken enough of your time, but thank you so much for taking it. It was really uh, wonderful. To your speak mom alluded you. to a final question. Oh, oh yeah. did yes. she? I have I have one more question. If you have time, <laughs> it's it's pretty quick. Um, uh, you know, I'm sure you've heard from fans over the years their likes and dislikes. We just spent 45 minutes with you telling us all of our likes. Um, but what is the the proudest moment that you have from Star Trek on or off camera? The friendships I've made are the most significant gift that I've gotten. Wonderful. Star Trek. The um that's they started from I know I Brent and I had known each other. We'd done some play readings together, but I, I didn't know anybody else in that cast until we started. And now I would count them among my most important, best loved people in my life. I mean, we've all stood at it by each other's weddings and godparents to each other's kids and confidants. And it's, it's, um, it's not always this way. I've worked on a lot of shows where the cast my wife said, what are, you, what are we really going to dinner with them on Saturday? Didn't you just spend 90 <laughs> hours a week with them? I said, yeah, we, we, we're getting, I said, come on. And and it's been that way ever since. It's just been the conventions. The best part of the conventions is the Saturday night. Okay. Right. Where are we having dinner? Yeah. Yeah. Whoever's at the convention with you and you act like you're 30 again or 25 or whatever the hell we were, 30 something probably. And it's... um. And it never gets tired. It never, ever gets tired. Brent and I are working on this thing we're trying to sell. And uh, he and I, you know, 
Kibitz and, and LeVar just worked on leverage so that he, he joined that family. I cast Lancey whenever I can and anything else that I'm doing. Sure. I do smart move. Same with Will Wheaton. And I, I, it's, um, so that's been, that's the gift that keeps on giving. Obviously the, uh, being part of this family has allowed me to buy a house and a car and all the things <laughs> I dream of as a, as an actor. But, but the, the relationships, we have a text chain with all of us that is hysterical. <laughs> it just surfaced during um, COVID. Right. And the shit that flies back and forth on there is so <laughs> rich. That's so wonderful. Yeah. That's oh, very, that's, that's, that's you can't ask for anything else. That's so marvelous. Yeah. All right. So you, you posted on, on um, how to sell this to Patrick. And then if he, if he passes, you tell me who you're looking for. You want to talk to the Picard guys, right? Mom was specifically alluding to Patrick. We will talk to anybody. We, you know, this, this is just, <laughs> well, this, clearly. Is, this has been, clearly. A, this has been a really just a wonderful way for us to spend time together as a family and yeah. put something out that celebrates something we all enjoy together. And, but yeah, any, uh, we would love to have any and all. You guys are a delight. Oh, well, thank, thank you, so, you much. so much. So thank are you. you. Uh, smart and you're so articulate and you're so informed. This is I've done a lot of these, and this is really special. I, I I think you can feel the family like you can with the with the Discovery family when you're watching them, right. the, the Next Gen family. Well, that's what Robin said. He ta- she told us when we talked with Robin yeah, Curtis. Robin Curtis, yeah, yeah. She said, "When you said it's with your mom, I'm there. This is so great." <laughs> <laughs> that's what Elisa said. Elisa said in the sidebar. She said, "They seem so nice." I said. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we like to hear um yeah. it doesn't often work that a cold call turns into a job no i, I <laughs> man when i when i reached out to elisa i was just like oh, the best i'm gonna get is i'm sorry he's too busy which would have been totally fine when she was like i'm gonna forward this on to him i'm like okay at least jonathan frakes knows I exist in the world as a human being. <laughs> so there's that. And then you started writing back to me and I, I messaged uh, Colin and my mom and was like, I'm messaging back and forth with Jonathan Frakes. Is this my life right now? Yeah, that's what we're doing. <laughs> and it's not going to end now. We're going to get Patrick on the show. Oh, gonna, man. We're going to go that suit would, up. would be marvelous. That would be marvelous. Yes. yes. Uh, Jonathan, quick before you go, do you have anything that you want to plug? Any socials that you want to do? Or that's up to you. The Pan Can is my uh, charity of choice. I'm working with uh, Armin Sherman and, and Kitty Swink for the uh, Pancreatic Cancer Society, the Purple Stride. Mm-hmm. So, uh, hit that hard and we're trying to raise money and we have a team, the Trek against cancer team. So that's my, that's my, well, great. We'll, we'll make sure, we'll make sure we post with that when this drops. Absolutely. To send send people that way. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. You have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye. Bye.